You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series, movie, or audio and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And tonight we're looking at episode three, season two of Bugs. The episode entitled Bugged Wheat. Episode synopsis. At an agricultural experimental station, a covert team strike the facility, causing a viroid to be sprayed directly on the experimental wheat crop. The wheat die. Team Bugs, because I refuse to call them gizmos, are called in, and Beckett shows a surprising amount of knowledge about viroids and horticulture for a spy dude. The wheat was supposed to be a completely pest-resistant variety, but who'd want to kill that? A nasty pesticide company. That's who. And there are apparently none nastier than Pesticorp, run by Dr. Kroll. Beckett goes undercover as a pesticide buyer to infiltrate. Meanwhile, Ross has used magic to create extra pixels from the research station CCTV footage of the raid. She's identified a junior meteorologist as one of the infiltrators. She and Ed go to a weather place to investigate. Beckett intentionally tips his hand to Dr. Kroll by showing him a photo of the viroid, which strikes a nerve. It gives Kroll a stylish wheat pin that goes with any ensemble. But it's not just hot couture, it's also a video camera gizmo. And Beckett gets enough info before the obvious design flaw destroys the camera, revealing the ruse. He only just escapes the facility when he tricks a guard into firing an electrical bolt into a mirror, reflecting it back into the water. Don't ask. At the weather place, Ed spies on the subjects while Ross walks into their computer room and begins downloading data. The suspect is getting a payoff from the head meteorologist, Pym. The payoff doesn't go well, and Pym murders him with a genetically engineered wasp with a lethal sting. Ed, too, is nearly killed and then suffers further when he falls into a room filled with bugs. Fearless Ed is terrified of bugs, and his escape from the room releases all the bugs, inadvertently dealing a setback to the baddies' plans. One bug hitches a ride on Ed, and a study of it reveals that it's exactly the right type of bug to infect with a viroid and spread that viroid to European wheat crops. Bugs must be used because it is impossible to directly infect wheat with the viroid. Further study reveals that this is a genetically engineered bug created by insect tech. Ross goes to Insect Tech while Ed and Beckett attempt a break-in at Pesticorp to obtain the viroid. It is a trap. Beckett escapes the building, but while Ed also avoids capture, he remains trapped inside the building. Ross learns from Insect Tech that Pesticorp are taking delivery this very moment of a large quantity of the very bugs in question. She goes to investigate. Pim, the meteorologist knows Roz is there, and he tampers with her car, installing a speed-controlled bee delivery system hooked into her air conditioning. A cool, overly complicated high-tech killing device that he apparently brought just for this occasion. Ross gives chase, and the trap is sprung, and it would have been lethal if Ross hadn't removed the top from her convertible. The villain's dastardly plot becomes apparent. Kroll and Pym are going to infect bugs 
with the viroid. Then, when the weather is just right, hence the need for PIM, they'll release the bugs via time-delayed release on weather balloons, wiping out the European wheat crop. Then, they shall make a fortune selling the pesticide designed to kill the viroid. Ed manages to destroy most of the viroid in the lab and is trapped behind a deadly UV lamp. Kroll manages to get enough of it for the plan to proceed. Beckett tries to stop the time-released bug capsules, but, for reasons, can only set the timer to five minutes, hoping to release the bugs before they can be reinfected. Meanwhile, Ross tries to secure the antidote, but it is destroyed, along with Pym, by an overzealous security guard. Ed, now on the roof, must battle Kroll, sending him to his death. But a balloon is launched with seconds to go before the infected bugs are released. Ross shoots the balloon, but Ed must overcome his phobia and hold the bugs in with his hand. In prison, Marcel has made a fortune for the warden and the prison by investing in wheat futures. The end. Um, so, bugged wheat, what'd you think? I'm... (laughs) I'm still really enjoying this. Um, I totally, I, throughout your synopsis, I can hear the kind of uh, just, <laughs> I'd say barely mm-hmm. disguised, not not even not even disguised, um, outrage at some of the the contrivances. Is, yes, well, it's the it's a combination of contrivances, and where we're go, you know we're not just going from science fiction to just sort of science randomness. But yeah, somehow it kind of still. Again, it's what we talked about last week. It's you have all of these plot holes, and yet enough. I th- I think part of it is momentum, but it is it, it, it's still hanging together in terms of the the team and the sense of enjoyment you get from seeing how they're going to get out out of you know the one one set piece after another. Yeah. I I didn't hate it, but it was sufficiently illogical enough that it was throwing up red flags while I was watching it. For example, they broke into the lab and they sprayed the viroid directly on the wheat, killing it. But later in the episode, we are assured that is impossible. And therefore, they must use bugs to do that exact same thing. I... I... So yes, I mean, I heard heard the skepticism in your in your voice on that one, and so I, I was wondering. I mean, I have no idea how how would you disseminate a virus like that without using insects in some way? I mean, even See, if you didn't in, if infect the insects directly, you'd need to be confident that wouldn't you that that insects would carry it around. See, I'm fine with that. I'm I'm absolutely fine with the idea that the insects carry it out to the wheat. It's that they actually threw in a line that says, you cannot infect the wheat directly with it. You have to do it through a bug. And it's like, but they showed us them doing it directly earlier in the episode. If they had just said this would be an effective way to spread a viroid undetectably, that would be fantastic. Or you cannot do it at scale. But yeah, or that, anything. But they just didn't, they didn't, go there they they actually contradicted something earlier in the episode and i it was and of course the fact that somehow beckett is the viroid expert all of a sudden he he was a little 
overly confident in his knowledge of stuff I, on that. But I kind I, I kind of think that that's possibly Beckett's job. There, I mean, when 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 we were starting out, when the show was starting out, we were watching through the first season, and they didn't quite have the confidence. They had some of the chats power, but they weren't pulling off as much of that kind of sense of fun and enjoyment. I was a little bit more critical of Jesse Birdsall's performance. Mm. And mm-hmm. I think there's also an aspect of, to his character, which is less well-developed. Well, no, not less well-developed. It's less easy to get a kind of read on just in... just in Because this is, this is the kind of Technicolor, larger-than-life Saturday night action series type thing. And so... You just have you just have these kind of labels on the characters. Ed is the daredevil pilot. Roz is the genius hacker. Beckett is kind of the, I guess he's sort of the seasoned spy. But actually, in terms of his character, he's also he's a bit of an old woman, really. I mean, well, maybe I maybe I should find a more inclusive way of characterizing uh, that. But he. He's always the one who is sort of saying, "Oh no, we mustn't do that," or he he he's the he's the pessimist and the warrior, but he's also the one who's got the the kind of contacts into the the hive. So you kind of think that's where he's got to know about stuff, which you would have thought would include the kind of in, industrial espionage on an on an international scale would be amongst the kind of things he would be aware of. So what could amount to a terrorist threat, for example, because it affected the entire food supply of a country. I guess perhaps that was the only way I could go. I mean, I, I the only way I could take his his sort of almost very detailed know-it-all attitude, when they did have an expert at times in the room that could have provided that dialogue in a more authoritative way... Um, is Which that he's doing the case in the show yeah w- w- he could be he could be the james bond kind of know-it-all oh yeah you know it all but but we haven't quite seen that from him so it just i don't know did we have a different writer on this we did we did um and i and it have... feels like it to me and maybe that's my problem it it just well this guy was a little he he, he could push my buttons where somebody else didn't <laughs> he, he was also very heavy on exposition. There were a lot of scenes where Beckett would would literally say, "I've got to go to the roof to stop the release of the bugs." It, it was very like, "I'm going to go do this now," and it felt like exposition to me instead of a natural. I've got to get to the roof now because the audience knew why he had to get to the roof, but yet they didn't. He explained it. And it wasn't just him, but. Uh, that was like the last one that triggered my my exposition warning was that particular scene. It just somehow didn't f- flow naturally. Like I said, it was a fun episode, but something just kept rising slightly above, bobbing its head up and making me go, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> um, and it, 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 a bridge too far like- somehow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I it didn't feel it didn't stand out to me from I mean, I I I don't dispute any of your criticisms. 
it didn't stand out to me as being massively different from previous episodes. I mean, a lot of the previous episodes have been written by Stephen Gallagher. I guess he's written the the most so far. And then we've had the last couple by Colin Brake, who also wrote one in the previous season. So that's three scripts he's chalked up. Um, we'll, We'll get more from both of those. And I don't know if you noticed, but in addition to the series consultant credit that we discussed last week that Stephen Gallagher is now getting, there is actually a script consultant credit additionally on here. And... I I was, you know, I was talking about why I thought that the the credit, um, the the se- the series consultant credit that that Clemens and Gallagher are getting is actually for work on the script, but apparently no, there's a separate role for that for Colin Brake. <laughs> so you would expect between the three of them, they would be evening out any tonal or stylistic differences that came about from bringing in new writers. But it sounds like, from your perspective, that's not that's not working. Yeah, it's just it's really close to the edge. Like I say, it I enjoyed the episode, but for some reason, something about what they did, apart from the exposition part, just kept bubbling up. Going, wait, what? Wh- wh- why? Th- there was there were just those occasions. It's like, all right. The meteorologist, and I didn't catch the name of the place where the meteorologists work, but it's a weather place, and which apparently has no security on their computer systems whatsoever, because Ross just walks in and sits down at the mainframe and starts working. But that's where they keep the bugs, even though the whole bug operation actually occurs over at Pesticorp. All the development, all the infection, all that stuff is, is over... It's over in a completely different place, a different guy. But, you know, otherwise Ed wouldn't have fallen into a tank full of, uh, of bugs for our amusement. And I don't think it's the first time that we've seen in this show that there has been an element of the plot that appears to be there entirely to set up some set piece rather than yes. being consistent or I, 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 logical. So I, I, don't, I don't think that's anything particularly to do with... Something about this one triggered that for me, though triggered the triggered oh, the alert and that's i don't know what it is it's the only thing i could think of after the fact what we we're talking about is like maybe it's a different writer and it's something about the way he presents he he keep, or she he or she presents you, well you keep either. saying he he um well it's neither he nor she it's they um it's miles miller and alfred goff the third the, the who as you might guess from that is an american well oh <laughs> Miles Miller is a is a is a Brit, um, but th- but they're a writing team who have actually done uh, more m- other things you might know them for. Like they created a series called Smallville a few years after this, which oh, was yeah, a never kind looked. of Superman show. Yeah, it was it, popular it, it, with it, some it, people. Yeah, yeah, it ran for a while. Um, I probably have seen episodes of it. I probably haven't actually seen episodes of it. I might have seen a different Superman show. Um, they also wrote Spider-Man 2, The Mummy 3, Lethal Weapon 4, and interestingly to me, the Charlie's Angels series from 2011, which I also haven't seen, but I'm interested in because I'm a huge fan of the 2000 film of Charlie's Angels, so I kind of want it to be as good as that. Um, reports say it's not, but 
I, I thought you were going to say you're a huge fan of the original Charlie's Angels of the Aaron Spelling series. Not so much. Not so much. No, it, it's 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 um it's the McGee film that I d- I don't quite know why, but somehow it just it amuses <laughs> the hell out of me. Well, okay. Interesting, anyway, in that in that um, it's the first, as far as I'm aware, it's the first time we've had an, a a, write, a writing team that was at least half American on the on this, because as we've discussed, it is creating a world that is an, a kind of non-existent world, but that is very much kind of the this fantasy, very much rooted in the in the British 1990s, you know, it was all of the mm-hmm. kind of filming in the East end of London and all of the, all of the kind of Brit concerns. Although well, thinking about it, actually, I guess Ed is definitely quite Australian. It's for us. That's just like sort of Brit light. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we noticed the difference, but yeah, fair point. Fair point. I, well, I, I told you when I, how... when I went to, when I went to the UK, uh, I have a, a very bad habit of, mimicking if i'm around a lot of people that speak a certain way i i i drift into it very naturally and and unconsciously and about day two people started asking me if i was from australia (laughs) and it's like huh why because i'm not putting on intentionally putting on a voice it's just affecting the way i speak and apparently so i sound like a, a a bad american australian brit accent apparently but uh yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I mean, given given that, yeah, fair point. It might be that to American ears, unlike to Australian or British ears, the the accents are less easy to distinguish. I don't know whether this show ever made it in America. I mean, was it even shown? Did it get any ratings? Never was it on some back channel cable network? Yeah, right. I mean, I, 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 I certainly assumed that it wasn't you know it didn't really have an american audience i don't think so but you know there are a lot of channels now and it might have had aspirations to given the parallels we've talked about with the avengers where you know ultimately the avengers where when it when it became a success in america it was on the back of the the kind of the version of of the avengers that people think of that people remember i.e the kind of emma peel fantasy type stories mm-hmm. uh you know 1995 1996 i'm not sure where tv was they'd have a hard time getting a 10 or 12 episode series out so they'd have to have a few before they would hit syndication in the u.s so yeah I, they'd have to they'd have to have got a couple of series yeah, I mean, it may it, it may well be that it never made it in the states. It may also be that after his experiences with the new Avengers, Brian Clemens was much less interested in doing anything that relied on money from overseas. Uh, thinking about you know the French, but particularly the Canadian funding and the strings attached to that. So yeah, yeah, I don't know. It, interesting, interesting, just because I'd never thought about it. I would put, if I were betting, I'd put money on it having never aired in the United States. Although, you know, I could see it turning up on BritBox someday, but that's a very specialized, uh, it's one of them, I can't think of it. Very name. specialized because I, you know, it's the kind of thing where I would be, I would be a bit surprised if it was kind of repeated on any of our 
our sort of satellite and cable archive channels. Mm. Obviously, you can get it on DVD, which is yep. how we're watching it. Um, so it's not is not so niche that it's disappeared without a trace. But it certainly doesn't seem to have particularly stood the test of time. No, and I I, I think the techno thriller aspect of it 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 is a little. Some of the things they're working on are a little probably rubbed the wrong way. Looking back yeah. on it, it's like <laughs> look at them, <laughs> look at the cavemen, look at the <laughs> Uh, whereas if you look at something from the 70s and they're just, you know, have to use landlines and don't have phones or computers and you don't, you just, eh. but yeah, uh, I think but it's then, because they not, were projecting yeah. forward and they're projecting wrong. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's interesting because I mean, the, there are shows that we have covered on Fusion Patrol that project the future and maybe not 100% accurately. I'm thinking of some of the Jerry Anderson stuff here. And Space 1999 is probably well, not right, yeah. Or yeah. UFO. Um, and yet the that kind of vision that those shows have is sufficiently entertaining to transcend the the reality I... that, that proves them wrong. Um, partly because I think no one really ever expected them to be proved right. I've always kind of... You look at Space 1999 and some people have been trying... I'm using it as an example. Some people have been trying to get a revival of that. And one of the things that they've looked at is, you know, space 2099. Because what you look at it and you go, here's why they missed. It's just too soon. <laughs> Give us another hundred years and we might have a moon base. You know, yes, the technology is wrong. The comm locks and, and a number of things are, are, are inaccurate. But it's just so... They predicted the year 1999, and man, did they miss by a million miles. And the same is true well, of Jerry Anderson in the 80s, and even Star Trek. I mean, the technology they have on Star Now, this technology they have on Star Trek, the original, is so wrong. Like the big floppy disks, or they're not floppy disks, they're pieces of wood, but, you know, and the buttons and the consoles and everything. But it's, it's divorced, because it's the future. Bugs is kind of the present and they're extrapolating the stuff that actually does exist just a little bit forward and they just didn't it just didn't work the way i, I don't know i i i'm enjoying the show so I, don't don't get me wrong i'm not trying to pick on it in that way it's just i can see how it might be a harder sell because it it does seem to have a sell by date and i can't quite pin why uh, it's not bothering me but you know uh, well, it, I mean, I think it, I think it's very much of its time. I th I think that it's easy to sort of say, well, pick a hundred years in the future as a date because, irrespective of what you're discussing, <laughs> it doesn't matter how wrong you are. None of your viewers are going to be around long enough to prove that. That too. So, uh, and and you know, also, I think in defence of the the kind of shows that you've mentioned in the 1960s, things were moving so fast that if you extrapolated from that you would expect were that pace of change to be yeah. maintained you might easily have got to the places that they were projecting i think the thing that is different about bugs is that it well as you say it is it is a it is a kind of version of the present day and it's not it's not so much it, it it's a what is it it's it's a vision around 
some of the kind of issues and some of the worries around technology that i mean it's not a doom watch mm-hmm. for sure but the the silliness and well i guess we can kind of we can we can maybe divide up the silliness in this episode but the 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 kind of things around the the bug resistant wheat crop and the pesticides and all of the kind of power that rests with pesticore as the people who have the antidote to this viroid very much mirrors all of the concerns that there were around then around genetically modified stuff for example and you know not not just the oh my god it's going to make everyone impotent or turn everyone into fish or all of those kind of things but also the we are handing over the patents to crops that we are then expecting entire countries welfare to rest on to big corporations and the story itself is kind of and it's not the first story to take an issue like this and i think stephen gallagher in particular has used the show in this way to to take to take an issue and run with some of those kind of contemporary concerns around those things yeah um it's not the most deep exploration of that kind of concept because it is no it is really just sort of i've got the antidote and now i'll release the poison into the water i I vaguely feel like i've heard that before um (laughs) (laughs) on on perhaps even on bug um so it is it's it's just a a weird convoluted story that is not following the most path of least resistance and maybe that's what's bugging me but there are a couple things i i have to ask because i come from a very dry place what do you consider high humidity well i think it's fairly humid here at the minute and it's in the 80s yeah so we have that scene where the camera blows up in the high humidity and Roz says this is not designed (laughs) for high humidity now that would not be so bad except that a few minutes later when they walk into the weather place the announcer is telling us that the humidity will be 85 percent that day and i'm like so this camera is actually useless in britain (laughs) well certainly in wales (laughs) or wherever they well they were they're in london so i assume yeah (laughs) i was just like i mean I, i i i thought the whole wheat pin thing was just utterly ludicrous but i thought that because like who would believe that exactly so no never mind how humidity resistant that camera had been the way in which beckett kind of awards him with a pin and Kroll just sort of accepts that rather than going get your brooch away from me you madman yeah or you know even even if even if he had kind of humored him you would have thought that he would think twice about why someone had done something so strange yes and you know the funny thing is when he turned around when so when beckett is leaving and he turns back around he says oh 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 oh, let me uh uh you know and i go oh he's gonna slip a pen in his pocket that's a bug because <laughs> you see here have one of our pens believable Which, we, yes exactly, exactly far more indeed. believable was... especially if he, if he had a pocket protector and he had pens in it already and just 
plunked it in there. It's like, have one of our special pens. And it's like, okay, fine, whatever. But very much a device that was used in Dial a Deadly Number from season four of The Avengers. Yes, and and many other places where they put them in pens. But a wheat pin? <laughs> and these are cybernauts thinking about it. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I thought, well, that took an unexpected turn. And I think that's that caught me. It's like, okay, it makes sense. He's going to try to plant a bug on him. Really? A big, hideously ugly wheat pin? Hey, I'm wearing one too. We're wheat pin buddies. <laughs> like, no. It- <laughs> It was. I mean, it was another of those instances where I kind of had to. I I could sort of see you have to suspend disbelief because they're just doing something that is designed to drive the plot. Although it didn't drive it very far because it wasn't very long before it blew up because it was a bit damp. (laughs) But and you'll have to forgive me because I know you said don't ask about this. Oh yeah. But I'm going to ask about this because I didn't understand this on any level okay it's yes you're gonna ask about the mirror what is going on with their guns as far as i can tell uh, uh, based on the result don't use electricity around water that was a gun shooting a pulse of electricity which he reflected off of a mirror why and how and how and what and why and all of it exactly it it's completely because we we've we've kind We've kind of we've kind of talked about how this is sort of present day and the the stories themselves are usually centered around some kind of technology that is it that's the five five seconds into the future part of it. They're extrapolating some particular thing and often the story is around how that novel invention is being exploited or being uh, misused. And that's kind of true here in the in the the sense that the kind of the, you know the viroid has been developed has 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 been engineered and mm-hmm. is is being deployed in a nefarious way the guns are totally futuristic yep and you would think that could be a you know that that could be an investigation in its own right who who has these guns? How have they got these guns? Why have they got these guns? How are they going to so use these guns? This was this was the other thing. I mean, so Pym's a meteorologist. Kroll is a pesticidologist or whatever that is. And they make a corporation that makes pesticides. And, and mm-hmm. Pym works at a place that does weather things. And who's making the gizmos for them? Who, who, who <laughs> made the bomb that deploys bees into your car air conditioning system when you go over 60 miles an hour who who made those high-tech guns who 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 is the who made the and insect tech seems to be innocent right i mean roz goes in and says hey i'd like to talk to you about this and sure these guys are buying a bunch of these bugs they don't sound like they're culpable in this in any way or shape who made the murder hornet were those murder bees (laughs) <laughs> or were they just bees well I, I i can understand the murder hornet bit you know he, the, they are they're genetically engineering viruses that can be carried by insects it's it's a stretch but it's kind of i mean it's i mean it's a stretch to the point of being totally ludicrous but it's kind of within the theme of the show the thing that I don't understand about the guns. The the thing that I most don't understand about the guns. I have a 
I have an explanation in my head, but it's taken me a while to come up with it. The thing I don't understand is, what dramatic purpose does it sh- does it prove? Because all of the things that we have talked about, where there is some aspect of the plot that doesn't make sense within the storyline, but is there in order to provide the catalyst for some action set piece. Mm-hmm. But the guns don't do that. Do I that. mean, other nope. than just that one scene. Yeah, it's strange. <laughs> it the, introduces something that makes you go, uh, what? And and there in for the no reason. That, it's that bubbling up. It's like, what? <laughs> just bugging me about the plot. The only explanation I've been able to come up with after you know, some consideration, is the team themselves, and this is partly because, as you say, someone has to design and create these things. The team themselves are specialising in this, largely because of Ros's expertise. And so they are always pulling out some latest, sorry, gizmo, that will unlock locked doors or transmit into outer space or whatever it is. It's It's some super duper piece of clever technology and that's where a lot of the show's sci-fi comes from and it makes me wonder if Miles Miller and Alfred Goff haven't been given a brief which includes this show in this show should have lots of gadgets and you know crazy Mm -hmm. extrapolated technology in it and they've kind of thought well we can just we can everyone can have that rather than thinking this is something that our terrific trio are specialists in so they've just given it to the baddies without really thinking about how that works or where it comes from yeah i don't mind if the baddies have it but i would like it if it had been a baddies that specialized in making weapons or if if the baddies had it in fact actually been the guys making the insects or (laughs) but it didn't seem to be that way and it just and and as you say that gun i want to when I saw the guard with that gun, I go, whoa, gun? And, you know, he he shoots a pulse. Okay, it's a ray gun. It bounces off a mirror. Okay, it's a ray gun. It hits the water and electrocutes him. Hey, you should not use electricity and water. I was like, wait, electricity does not actually bounce off mirrors? And, <laughs> uh, and you know, I, so far as best we can do with pulsing electricity you have to have a way to guide it. It doesn't go in a line of sight. So that's why they use, well, partially, you know, why tasers use wires, because it has to have something to travel along. Yes, lightning can a travel through the air. A taser I could have understood. Yeah, except, I mean, ta- and that could have bounced thing about, off a mirror, because it's hard, it and then hit the water. Yes, And then... A, ta- a, tase- and a taser would have been tech that they would have had at the time, so it wouldn't have been special it would have been relatively novel it would have been easier to get hold of than an actual conventional projectile gun yeah in, so, in the uk yeah all in all that would that would have been fine very strange <laughs> yes it, it was kind of it was kind of a little hot. so yeah i um i i had you know unless pim just has an obsession with insects i'm going to i am the bug man <laughs> <laughs> oh wait he did have what were his interests philately and was it bug collecting maybe it was they did mention what his interests were one was stamp collecting and the other was 
think You're it right. was bug collecting. Yeah, it was a weird, and they didn't use stamps as a weapon in any way, shape, or form. I thought that was kind of, um, kind of strange. Um, Disappointing. Do you think Roz will have a new car? I don't know. I don't know. It was it, she, as far as I remember, she's had that car since Out of the Hive. So it's it's, it's due for it's the big, Yeah, it's well, I don't know. It's the biggest casualty. Uh, you know, it's the first of the show's regulars to actually get written out. Although, will it get written out? Or is there some way in which it can be repaired? Or can she buy an identical car? Because actually, it's just quite a bright yellow. I don't know, how, I don't know how it works in, in uh, UK TV shows, but in the United States, it was very common. So, for example, if you look at a show like The Rockford Files which had a very prominent uh, Trans Am or Firebird. I forget which it was. Trans Am is a Firebird, but they're different models. Jim Rockford always drove this very distinct copper-colored Firebird. And I never noticed it. He had a new one every year because it was supplied by the, it was supplied by the company. You mean it was new but identical? Is yeah, except there would be a newer model the each registration year. plate. Oh, I see. Yeah. Oh, and they want they wanted the latest version to be on on, on the screen. screen. I mean, yeah. I I don't know enough about cars to say whether what Roz had was the latest model, um, and therefore would be a kind of a form of promotion. But even then, they wouldn't they wouldn't you know product placement. It's a BBC show. They wouldn't yeah. be able to do that. Uh, all I notice about it from my ig- ignorance of automobiles is that it's quite a bright yellow, um, which isn't that novel in itself in the sense that. The doctor and the prisoner had yellow cars, if I remember rightly. But it's very there, good there for a couple of bright people. yellow cars in the village. So yeah, it's ideal because who would spot it? <laughs> no, I'll never see it. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to 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 bring up about it, and I don't like it. I mean, I, I like the story, but there is one thing about it I don't like. I almost said it last week. I do not like the fact that we keep ending on Marcel. Right. It's it's too. It's too heavy-handed that we're heading for a showdown with Marcel on... It's like right. everything's about him now. It's like, really? He's he's really not. Well, it's not. I mean, yeah. the, th- the thing is, this is a Bad Wolf story arc. Yeah. We're just sticking... We we, we, we brought f- from the... And I, this is this is not intended to be spoilery because I don't know for sure. I don't... My recollection of the series is too hazy... To, to remember what happens but i have i have every confidence that the finale is going to be that showdown that you just mentioned for much the same reasons that you as you have uh, made the same conjecture and all i think they are doing is taking the that element from it and inserting it into these episodes so that when it happens it feels like something much more significant because of the build-up mm-hmm. now now I'm, this is, I'm I, kind of in favour of it for one reason and one reason only. No tag scene. Oh yeah, it's taking yeah. the place of the tag scene. So you know, yeah. a bit of business with uh, with Marcel, and we don't have to have our intrepid heroes sitting hmm. around making a a joke about serial know, killer. Ed Ed is frightened of bugs or whatever. Serial killer. Come on. They, they had it anyway. Yeah, they got the yeah, I know, I know, but it's <laughs> like they didn't at least construct an entire scene out of that. Okay. Now, I want to I want to set the scene here for something. Okay, think about this. The world 
is at peace or as you know the world is operating at the normal and secretly behind closed doors at, at Pesticorp, they are plotting to destroy the world's wheat crop or at least europe's wheat crop and they have developed they've developed this viroid they've purchased bugs but all of this has been done clandestinely they've uh carried out a, a secret raid which was probably a mistake but uh you know again they're they're keeping this pretty low key because their diabolical plan only works if they manage to secretly release this kill the wheat crops and then swoop in with an antidote and say we can save the day and all of that happened but it didn't happen because team bugs stopped it from ever happening would you agree that that is what happened in this episode? Yeah. Okay. How then can Marcel say that he was betting on a team of winners, because clearly he was betting on Team Bugs, to do an investment in wheat futures, which should have had no impact whatsoever on wheat futures, because none of this ever happened. Right? Now, if, if, if the world had gone into a panic about the crop then wheat futures yeah, the market would have shifted. Market would have shifted, but the market would not have shifted in this case. So how did he make a windfall off of this? <laughs> I don't... He, no, yeah. Uh -huh. I, don't, I, don't, I don't think it can have happened. Also, how did he know about it? And you could conjecture that actually he was in some way involved in the plan, but that he bet against his own side and yada, yada, yada. But that still doesn't... You know, it's terribly convoluted and it still doesn't explain... That, as you say, there is no way he could have made the money out of it anyway, given yeah. that basically no one was expecting the market to shift and the market didn't shift. And that's, I, I that's, think that's not a scenario in which you can you've anything to bet against. Yeah. So <laughs> that one, that one was the last as we're walking out the door and they give me one more kick of the why bucket. And it's like, Why? like oh <laughs> like, and maybe that's maybe that's part of it as i you know i i did generally enjoy the episode this running around there's explosions i mean when Roz's car went under that truck and whatever was on that truck was obviously filled with high explosives <laughs> just, just blast up I mean, hey this is a lot of fun but i guess when we walked away i was already going like really two episodes in a row with marcel and this makes no sense and then <laughs> it's like all right next week I, I, it, I mean, it, Bad Wolf may not be quite right. It may be a bit trial of a time lord. <laughs> yeah, it could be. It's totally retrofitted. Yeah, uh, that, I mean, uh, we I, are we are watching we are watching him butter up the prison warden, obviously. So I'm yes, guessing it's, it's by the end, I'm guessing by the end of this, it will not just be Marcel. It will be Marcel operating his command center with the at least tacit approval of the prison warden who will be in on this. He is, he is corrupting the prison warden. He is corrupting the prison into his new base of power. That's my guess. But yeah, I, th I mean, I think it's very simple because that even if, even if it's a kind of two minute piece at the end of every episode here, and we've had a couple of them, there's what another half a dozen before you actually have to, do a whole episode build a storyline mm. it's going to be as simple as an explanation of how you know after after 
the heroes have put uh, Jean Daniel behind bars, how it is that he can get out and do some more damage. He he's no blowfield. Um <laughs> That's that's the other problem. He just didn't he didn't rise up on the level of villains to me last year or so. Like really? That guy? Alright. Fine. I guess the other question is, did you take from that scene where the warden is looking at the thing and it's the prison I don't know, pension fund or something, the prison prison fund. <clears throat> Right, so he's making money, quote unquote, for the prison, and he says that line about, "Well, if I were on the outside, I'd be calling my broker to me, make seal it in that profit right now." And he side eyes the warden, and the warden side eyes him, and then the warden goes, "Oh, oh, I, uh, oh, 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 I've got to go take care of something," as if he's going to go run out and call his broker to do something. But isn't it too late at this point? He was either in on it or... Yeah. I... (laughs) Okay. But, you know, that that did seem to be what I took from that, is that he was was tempting the warden there with that, with the idea. He was, he was, that was part of the corruption of the warden. He's like, he's giving him the hint. You should go make some money on this right now. It's like, and the warden's like, oh, oh yeah, I should go make some money on this right now. And then... And, and zips off so yeah i have a question then if 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 jean daniel did not it did not was not at the top of the pile of villains who you think should come back <laughs> uh, you're gonna ask me and i'm gonna say there really wasn't a pile right <laughs> i think maybe that was it i think there just really wasn't anybody in that that i thought yeah that guy was that guy was formidable I mean, Jean Daniel is still the guy that was going to detonate a, a, a EMP burst over London and then get their backups, right? That was that is that guy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, he <laughs> he just didn't. He just seemed struck me more as a chauffeur. Yeah, well, yeah, I know he was playing that part, and maybe that's part of it. It's like suddenly the chauffeur is act, the brutish, deadly chauffeur is suddenly. Oh, he's actually the brains behind this. That maybe it's because that didn't really play very well. That didn't play out too well. When you get to the end of the episode, it's not really foreshadowed. It's not really it's they're just they're just telling you, Oh yeah, he was the smart one. The other one was the dumb one. This was the smart one. Oh I I mean obviously he wasn't a villain, but I would have been very happy to see Anton Lesser playing the the recurring villain because I like him as an actor and I actually enjoyed it when he was apparently the villain even though he didn't turn out to be so which one was that it kind of he he was the brother oh well he was the still other, a villain the other marcel yeah he just wasn't well, the mastermind he was but he was still yes yes he was a more disposable villain well literally and he did and he didn't he didn't have the kind of uh significance in the story that jean daniel had but i like him as an actor and i think he the way he played it, a little bit OTT, but quite fun, is something that could have been... I don't know, maybe it would have got a bit wearing, but it, I I thought it had more mileage in it. But otherwise, I tend to agree. I don't think that Bugs has created particularly memorable villains. A lot of them are... They do the job, you know? They're fine for the, for a period of an episode. But you don't necessarily think... 
ah, oh, that's the one I want. He or, he or she is the one I want our team to come up against every single week. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. None of them are the master, put right. it that way. Yeah, there, there, there's no Moriarty there. There's no master. There's no Blofeld. They just aren't. And and you know something? If it had, if their original battle had been more about high teching out high teching each other than it was, I, that would make more sense. They're sort of equal but opposite. Um, but it wasn't quite like that the way it played out. I mean, it was high tech, but it wasn't. I don't know. It just didn't. Uh... I bet they weren't planning on making him a recurring villain. They weren't when they made Pulse. Yeah, it, it, it was. It was because they liked his his performance that they they got him back. Do you have anything else on this episode? Well, I mean, obviously we've got Hugh Bonneville guest starring in this, and he, he has become a lot more famous than I think he was then. Obviously, he was uh, Avery in Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. I am not a huge fan of Downton Abbey, but Downton Abbey viewers will certainly recognise him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing on the Avengers aspect of it, the the actor, you know, when he was uh, Pym, he was doing that stutter thing just like uh, the baddie in Escape in Time. Peter Bowles. Peter Bowles, yeah. And I, when I... He is kept... sort of Peter Bowles-ish. Yeah, he, he, that was very much reminded me of that. He wouldn't like... one for Edward. <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, sort of timid yet diabolical and, and yet for some reason they chose to put... The actor doesn't stutter that way, does he? Do you know? Hugh Bonneville, no. I, that is I Hugh Bonneville. So. I, didn't, I didn't even recognize him then. I recognized the name, but nah. didn't physically recognize that guy in any way, shape, or form. I guess you don't watch Downton Abbey either. I don't watch Downton Abbey, but of course I've seen him. If he was in Doctor Who, uh, I've seen him. But I, think, I think he's in Paddington. I mean, I think he actually appears in Paddington. I know he's in Paddington. I think he appears. I haven't seen that either. I'm not doing very very well on the Hugh Bonneville stuff. Um but I, I, I like, I like him. I've everything I've seen him in, I've enjoyed him in, including this. I think, I think he stood out in this. He is definitely the meanest meteorologist I've ever seen. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. He would. I've, he. I'd have him as a recurring villain, actually. Yeah, he kind of has, and he, and he sort of has the quirky, quirky aspect of it for that. Yeah. I yeah. could see that. Yeah, which you want. Whereas I, I, I thought. Um, as as Kroll, he was. He, I mean, he's quite brooding, and uh, appropriately so. Richard Cordery, I, I'm sure he's been in lots of things. I recognise him from lots of things, but in particular, he was in the uh, Marks and Gran drama from a few years just before Bugs Love Hurts, starring Adam Faith and Zoe Wanamaker. A rather good series, um, and I, he was a, a regular in that. So. Um, he would have been well known then to the contemporary audience, I think, for for that reason. And uh, the director, Sandy Johnson. So we are mentioned Miles Miller and Alfred Goff the third wrote wrote this episode. It was their first episode, but it is not their last. Mm-mm. I I I don't know how you're going to take that, but uh, the director <laughs> like... of this episode is Sandy Johnson, who directed. Uh, 
some of the uh, the comic strip presents the the Peter Richardson show. I don't know if that made it onto your side I of the pond. I have not it, seen it. A kind of uh, anthology show, ab- an absolutely brilliant, I have to say, anthology show that were, that were, that kind of um, was a precursor to things like uh, the Young Ones and and uh, French and Saunders and uh, some of those kind of nineteen eighties. The the kind of alternative, the alternative comedy boom. But this is the only episode. It's quite interesting because we've had a lot of. The, well, we haven't had a lot of directors. Uh, the directors of a lot of the episodes have have been back to do more, um, particularly in the first series where it was all just Brian Farnham and Ken Grieve. And so far we've had, yeah, Brian Farnham and now Sandy Johnson. But this is his only episode. And I don't know why, because I thought he did a perfectly good job on this one. I didn't think the... the um, the flaws were to do with the way it was directed. In fact, I thought probably the way it was directed did a lot to compensate for the flaws. So, a bit of a shame. I typically don't look at the credits in advance on a show no. because I, particularly the writers, because you know, even in this case, you say it feels like a different writer to me. It 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 feels different from the shows we've seen before, and. Yes, it's been strained through the script consultants and the series consultants and and whoever else, you know, tries to tries to level it out. And yet, still, it felt different. And uh, it, just like that with a director, I don't I don't usually notice directing unless it's exceptional or it's really awful. And I I like to see it in the show rather than go, oh no, I've got another one by this guy and I know it's going to be bad, kind of thing. So uh, we'll see if I can spot the next. Uh, Mr. Goth the Third and his and his partner Goth the Third. Why do you think that sounds like an American name? <laughs> I, it's not Goth that sounds American. It's the Third. It's the Third. We, See that we we, I, we typically don't tend to do that unless we're royalty. That's an interesting point. I would have said that was a British thing. Really? Yeah. I mean, I've, I I have met a couple of people with uh, multi generational names, but. I, I <laughs> it's, if you make up a fake British name over here of some aristocrat, uh, it's going to be you know Mister Pennyweather Pennyweather Winston Smythe the Third. It, it's just going to sound like that's that's the stereotype for us. If you don't do that, that is shocking news to me. <laughs> well, it doesn't. I I huh. cannot be categorical about it. It's not something I know about. It's. Just you know, as a as a Brit growing up, in, you know, in the in the late twentieth century, let's put it that way, it's not something I've really ever come across. It almost feels like a bit in for a dig because I I guess I guess it's almost there could be an element of snobbery in it here. It's like to even be counting is a bit kind of nouveau riche, you know. We, yeah. we we have generations and generations of people with the same name and it feels like you're trying to prove something by putting the number in there like you're you know you're a young nation that you haven't got the same kind of history we've got it's it's possible i mean nothing on earth would have ever induced me to name one of my kids after me and it's, name, it's not... naming your kids after you is common Really? Well, See, not, I, mean, I, wouldn't, no, I wouldn't say it's common. I would say it is. It, it's a, 
it it's not uncommon it's a it's a british thing yes so but that would be a junior right you don't you don't call that bob the second you you no you go robert junior right or do you not even do that i well, again robert junior sounds a bit american I yeah I don't know I don't know God the I mean the only thing and it it's this is all just from books and TV comedy but it, the only thing that comes across as sounding British is where you have brothers at public school who have the same surname and everyone at the school is is with the same surname so it would be like Bins Minor would be the younger but that's not quite the same thing I don't huh. I don't know. That, that's interesting. I, I I think one of the things that is a is a common form, and certainly I know I know someone who named his son this way, is to have a different middle name, and then often use the initial. Hmm. So. Well, this sounds like this sounds like uh, uh, something that, that I'm sure one of our listeners probably is an expert on this and. <laughs> Write in and tell us. Come on, genie, genial, international genealogists, give, give us the facts. Yeah, huh? I, I remember I was shocked when I found out that when you know when you named someone with the same name, you put Junior on it. That's on their birth certificate. But what? Yeah, apparently. Wow. I apparently. I mean, I don't. I don't actually know anybody specifically that. But that will junior, only work but, for like two generations. Or what do you go? And that's when you go squared? Junior, Junior. Then it's third. Then it's the third. That's where oh, you it's, go. it's not like it's not like second and then third. It's junior and then third. It's junior and then third. Yeah, yeah. I mean, now if somebody went with the second, you know they're putting on airs because everyone goes with junior. So if somebody is like John Smith the second, you're like, oh yeah, your parents were pompous. <laughs> it's like now that's that that is how that goes. But junior, and of course the. The, the adult becomes known as senior, but they don't change their name. And then it's, so that, that's my understanding. I, I know one person who's a third. I won't name him. Uh, his parents should be charged with child abuse for naming him that. Um, it's, his, it's worse than my dad's name, which was Clyde. And, you know, if, if he'd named me Clyde the second, there'd have been, <laughs> there'd have been murder in this family. <laughs> well, I think... Or Clyde Junior. Ether. Oh. <laughs> but, yeah, I, 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 th- I th- no, I think he- here you'd have been, you know, Clyde J. Glover or whatever. It's, yeah, I don't, you'd, I you'd, don't know you'd, what they you'd, do. You'd have the initial there. I just, I just think, you know, having the name and then having Junior and then having the third just sounds like a bit of a, a dogberry counting system, mm. like that, you know, strange speech in or that rather funny speech in Much Ado About Nothing. Yeah, well, it's a. Uh, uh, I'm going to say it's a fascinating topic, but I would be probably kidding. <laughs> Never given it much thought. What is our next episode of Bugs? Our next episode of Bugs is entitled Whirling Dervish. Oh, okay. Whirling Dervish. Like, can they go to. Would that be Turkey, perhaps? I don't know. Well, I. I can't remember it, so I can't tell you or indeed give you any spoilers. Thank you for joining me, Simon. It's a pleasure, as always. Listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol, the second. (laughs) Thanks for listening. 
If you've enjoyed this episode of Fusion Patrol, we hope you'll consider supporting us at patreon.com slash fusion patrol or buymeacoffee.com slash fusion patrol. For our monthly Patreon subscribers, we're currently doing a special series on Season 2 of Babylon 5. There's over a decade of previous episodes available at FusionPatrol.com. Come join the conversation on our website or Twitter. You can also find some of our other works at SoundCloud.com slash Fusion Patrol. Our music is Fight the Future by Amberwolf. This has been a Lone Locust production.